The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Father in heaven, we come to you and we humble ourselves before you. You are the creator, we're the creatures. You're the one that's a sustainer and we're the ones that need sustaining. And above all, you're the redeemer and we're the wretched sinners. And we glorify your triune name that you love us. And as we saw last night in the beginning part of of Peter, Lord Peter, who was a mess. Uh, you redeemed him, you called him, you re reinstated him as an apostle. Uh, and there's tremendous hope because we have an incredible inheritance. And we pray that as we open up how we get the help under pressure, that you'll give us grace. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm glad you're all here. Some of you are uh, recidivists, you're repeat offenders, you're you were here last night and you're, you're back again. Uh, others are new. So real quickly, um, uh, the, first, the first chunk was chapter 1, verse 1. Nothing personal. That's okay. I don't take it personally. This guy. Uh, chapter 1, uh, uh, up to the middle of chapter 2. And the main thing we wanted to see was that the triune gods involved in our salvation... It's all of him, not of us, and therefore we can have hope. And that hope leads to us realizing you got inheritance in heaven. The inheritance can't be corrupted or uh, watered down. It, it doesn't go through inflation. It's protected in the heavens, and God protects it. And then you're protected by God's grace so that you can get there to get the inheritance, which is your eternal salvation. And that, you know... You are incredibly blessed because the stuff that you're experiencing as God's children, uh, it's stuff that angels want to look into. And it's things that the prophets who are actually prophesying through the Holy Spirit, uh, they were going, well, when's this going to happen? Who's, who's the Messiah going to be? So you have incredible privileges, and that incredible privileges, which comes through the generating work of the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God, that resurrection power is what creates hope in you. So that was the first chunk down there to, to verse 12 in chapter 2. So what we want to go through now is help for Jesus, and I'm putting it that way. Hope for Peter, you, and your counselees. But today I want to focus from chapter um, 2, verse 13, which is the main theme of the book, you know, down to... Uh, the end of chapter 3. Okay? So these are uh, bite-sized chunks. Okay? Uh, let's look at uh, 1 Peter 2 then. Uh, verses uh, 13 through 17. That's the first thing. You must submit to God-ordained authorities even when they're unjust. Now remember, Peter's writing this book to try to get these Christians ready for persecution. Okay? And Peter didn't handle the persecution very well. He's lopping ears off in the garden. Jesus had to put him back on and put up your sword, Peter. You know, hey, I'm, I'll never deny you. Oh, really, Peter? I've got to restore you three times because you denied me. All of this, the divine irony that he's writing the book on persecution and how to handle it like Jesus. So here's the first chunk. Uh, Christians must remember that we are to submit to God-ordained authorities even when those authorities are bad. Okay? So, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be the emperor or king as supreme or as governors sent by him, minor officials, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay, so this is kind of the overarching. Okay? Is there a God-ordained authority? What are the God-ordained authorities? Family, church, and state. We'll get to the, the elders in, in chapter 5 in the church. Okay? But, but there are God-ordained institutions. God ordained the family, and out of the family then developed the church and the state. Okay? So uh, uh, those are God-ordained institutions, and how do we approach them? We're supposed to submit to them. Certainly not when they're sinful and tell us to sin and do stuff that God tells us not to. But we're, so Christians are aliens. Okay? See, that's the whole thing. You're strangers. You're pilgrims. We said last night we're fighting units. Pastors are point men. The officers of the church are trying to lead their troops through this terrible world, fallen world, without getting blown up. We're trying to get our sheep to heaven. Not that we save them, Christ does, but you understand the point. We're leading our sheep through the wilderness. There's wolves, there's lions, there's bears. They're trying to pick them off. And, and, and that's what he's saying. Look, I remember back uh, last night we ended with, Beloved, I urge you, this is verse 11, as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. The whole point for your counselees, for you, is to glorify God. Okay? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What's the chief and highest end of man? To glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. The bottom line is, it's not about us. And if you ever let your counseling degenerate into solving problems and helping people, it's not wrong. But they're secondary goals to glorifying God. Okay? So remember who you are. You're, you're a fighting unit. You're aliens. Okay, so in this, hey, they're out to get us, right? Well, they are. <clears throat> the government of China is not out to help the church. Government of India is not out to help the church. The government of the United States is not out to help the church. They're out to get us one way or another by political correctness or overt persecution. That's, I think, the quick summary, quick and dirty summary of Revelation. Satan uses two methods. Okay? I'm going to fool you into false religion and philosophy and steal your salvation by worshiping a false god. If that doesn't work, okay, Frank, knock it off. Take out the brass knuckles beat the snot out of you. That's, that's Satan's two, he's a liar and a murderer. So he uses the lies. If that doesn't work, he says, okay, forget it. Forget the kid glove. Forget the screw tape letter stuff. I'm just going for the jugular and rip out the, the throat of the Christians. So, so that's what Peter is trying to get these people ready for this. And he says, you, you might think, okay, 
Um, if that's the case, then I got to fight the government. That's not the case. Though Christians are aliens, we're not revolutionaries. So all liberation theology and all that stuff is wrong. We don't take up arms. You know, we don't uh, go with communism or anything else to try to fight injustice. Here's a dictum I've come up with. Every bloodless revolution fails because the persecuted become the persecutors. Without the blood of Christ, without the blood of Christ, you know, your bitterness leads you to beat on the other person. And uh, that's the history of uh, the human race. So he says uh, practical stuff. Honor everybody. Cut out the sarcasm. Stop watching Fox News, you know, for at least a week. <laughs> no, you know, and write the letters into Hannity. Say, Hannity, copyright infringement. You know, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Okay. You know, I get upset every time I hear him say that. You know, let not your heart be troubled. That's Jesus! And it's his blood and his righteousness. It's not Fox News, okay? It's, uh, come on. Uh, anyway, uh, I'd like to talk to him sometime. I should probably write that letter. Okay, so, uh, submission to God includes submission to rulers and institutions ordained by him, including perverse governmental rulers. And, uh, again, that doesn't mean we don't write letters to the government. That doesn't mean we don't vote appropriately. That doesn't mean we don't get involved in politics. But we're not revolutionaries. Okay? And now again, remember, a lot of these people are slaves. He's going to start talking about that. They have no rights in the Roman Empire. Most people didn't have rights in the Roman Empire. Okay? And so uh, they're living as persecuted. And we're kind of fat cats when it comes to the history of Christianity. You know, we, we've had it very easy here in the United States. Most of us, it's very minor suffering that we've had to do. Maybe we've lost a job or a friend because of Christianity, but you know, times could change. Uh, I keep telling the guys at seminary, I think some of you are going to end up in jail just for preaching Romans. They'll be labeled a hate crime, and you know, you'll be doing time just because you're preaching the Word of God. So, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Now, these are four separate sermons we could go into, but, you know, you've got to teach people. Love the brotherhood. And there's a lot in chapter 5 we'll get to in terms of how to do this. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Well, that's another big one. I, I would like to do a seminar on that. I think one of the things that often is missing in Christian counseling, biblical counseling included, is the fear of the Lord. We're so afraid of works righteousness we're so afraid of, you know, that, that the fear of the Lord, which is basically real piety, is lost. People don't like to talk about the fear of the Lord. Oh, well, that's negative. Okay, no, the fear of the Lord. Fear God. Yes, he's my father. Yes, he's died for me, St. Jesus. But I need to fear God. I don't want to offend him. And, and uh, again, people ought to get to the point where I don't want to offend God, not because I think he'll throw me into hell, but look what he did. Look what he did. Why, why would I want to hurt him? I tell people, technically you can't add to the sufferings of Christ. It's completed. But when you sin, think about this. He had to atone for that. So kind of in a sense, retroactive sense, every time you continue to sin, it's like spitting in the face of your Savior. Fearing God. And I, you know, 
I tell people, I think it's, I think it's in Scripture. The fear of the Lord, right? But, uh, twice in Proverbs chapter 3 and chapter 8, it says, it's by the fear of the Lord that men depart from evil. Sure. So without that, they're going to keep sinning. Sure. The fear of the Lord. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to be a downer, but uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah, that's a pretty tough chapter, isn't it? Some of you are weak. Some of you are sick. And some of you are asleep. Not because my sermons are boring, you know, says Paul, but because you're dead. Okay, nice way of saying dead. And an interesting, he says, very interesting. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged by the Lord, but he judges us so that he may not condemn us along with the world. Someone called it a severe mercy. So... Being God's children means, you know, that we're judged. Not for eternal damnation, but, you know, we've got to give an account. So we ought to fear the Lord in a good sense, okay? And then, love, uh, honor the emperor. So all of this is, uh, see, Christians ought to be respectful. And, and uh, I struggle with this because sarcasm and cynicism come very easily for me, okay? And there's a lot out there that we could be cynical about. But we really need to honor people and be respectful. Okay, now he applies it, okay, not just general to emperors and governors and all that stuff. What does he say? Okay. Servants be subject to... Now, this is, this is the real nitty-gritty. And remember I said last night, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I think this is one of the key passages in all of Scripture on how people can get through temptation. Listen, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, see, it's, it's crunching in here. For this is a good thing, or a gracious thing, the ESV says, but I think this is a good or excellent thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Notice that's the first key. You've got to consciously be aware... <coughs> That God is watching you. When you're suffering injustice, right? Isn't that the that Why is that happening to me? That's unfair. That shouldn't happen. Okay, when you're going through that, um, for what, uh, when you're, so, let me say again, for this is a good thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's what uh, his bucket list. You do the right thing and you suffer for it. Are you handling it correctly? This is, you know, bucket two. Uh, for what credit is it? So he says, look, Peter's saying, look, what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? You did something wrong. Sure, the master overboard beats you, but, you know, you patiently endure it. He says, you don't get credit for that. Why? Yeah, you maybe didn't deserve the beating, but you triggered the thing. You did something wrong. He says, so you don't get any credit for that. That's not pleasing to God. But he says, but if you do good, you do the right thing, and you suffer for it, and you endure it, this is a good thing in God's sight. In other words, God's going, yay, Dwayne, you know, they dumped on you, you handled it the right way, you didn't retaliate, way to go, son. You did it the way you should. For this, now here's, this is very, very important. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
Okay, so he takes this general principles, uh, submitting to even unjust authorities. To, well, he says, submit to everyone. Now he says, okay, submit to, to authorities that are doing it the wrong way. Why? Because Christ is giving you an example. First of all, he's your mediator. We get to the end of the chapter. It says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why? Because verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree <coughs> that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, very interesting. Peter's not saying he died so you can get your tush out of hell. He's saying he died on the cross for what? So you could die to sin. That's the functional reason. You could die to sin and live to righteousness. So holiness isn't sort of secondary. But notice this. He's the, he's the mediator. He's the one who died for you. But he's also your model. And it goes right to this. For you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you examples so you might follow in his steps. Now he expands that. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Okay? We know that. Okay? So the question is, how? But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There's the key. As to Jesus' human nature, he had to rely on the Father. He had to remind himself, justice is coming. I don't have to retaliate. In due time, justice will be done. I'll return on the clouds of glory. Okay? So, but, but see, here's the key, and, and I, I'll see this in counseling all the time. Well, what do you expect of me? I'm not Jesus. I've had people say that to me. I'm not Jesus. He's God. Yes, but I think this text says in the great mystery of the two natures, you know, in the one person, that as to his human nature, he had to rely on the Father. He didn't sort of turn into some kind of, you know, hyperspace and get some extra power that's not available to you or to me. Now, it's true. He's the God-man. He doesn't have a sinful nature. There's no tug and draw towards sin like us. You know, no, no desire to retaliate. But the point is, he had to consciously go, okay, Father, you sent me here. This is what I have to do. Philippians 2. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was fully God, being fully man, he did what? He humbled himself by becoming a servant, even to the point of death, death on the cross. See, so consciously, Jesus Christ has that. And you think about his whole life. It strikes me as you're saying that. Um, Jesus says to Pilate, you know, I could bring down legions of angels. So while he's perfectly God and doesn't have that tug of sin, he does have the, you know, he tempted without sin, but he has the ability to do something about it that we sure. don't. <laughs> he sure. could wipe them all out. He could. He could call <laughs> legions of angels. He had the right to do that prerogative, but he didn't do that because it would have thwarted his missions, just like turning the stones to bread or casting himself down from the temple or doing any of that would have short-circuited. And even, even at the, 
The pinnacle is in the garden when he goes, hey, if there's any way out of this, please, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. See, so, so here it is. He and this, Peter's going to keep picking this up again and again through the rest of the book. Look at Jesus in this particular way. And, and so this is helpful for the counselee. And then say, well, I'm not Jesus. And I go, well, okay. No, you're not. But what about Stephen? Right? Stephen died. He wasn't God. You know, and he died almost the same way. Don't lay this to their charge. Well, he's a saint. Well, if you're not, then you're not God's child. You're a saint. And you have the same Holy Spirit. You know, and so people will do that. You know, it's not mean, but you have to just simply say, you can't retaliate. You can't revile. You can't use deceit. You know, you have to... You have to really believe that this is, if I can put it this way, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment. This is a Peter and Paul. You know, hey, King, live forever. Our God can and will deliver us, but if He doesn't, we're not bowing down to your statue. Uh, you determine whether it's obey God or man, but we're not stopping preaching in the name of Jesus. Stick around. We get to chapter three. You're jumping the gun. You're right. You're on right there. You're very logical. You're thinking just like Peter. Okay, uh, that comes next. Okay, because you're going to see. Look at uh, three one real quickly. Likewise, wives. Verse seven. Likewise, husbands. So, so Peter's pulling the string. He starts with the slaves. Okay, and uh, masters. Now he doesn't do what uh, Paul does in Colossians and Ephesians pulls out the implication for the masters, you know, where Paul says, hey, look, you masters, you, you, have, a, you have a master in heaven, so, so treat your slaves accordingly. You know, slaves, you have a, you know, a, a savior in heaven. So he, he argues, look, work heartily as unto the Lord, not as a man pleaser, in all those passages in Paul. So yeah, you're right, he goes right on. That's the, that's the next thing in terms of the family. So we've got to submit to God-ordained authorities even when they're unjust. And he gives the first example here of the slaves and the master. But uh, this is a rich passage. I've asked people to memorize it. Uh, they've got to remind themselves. Okay? Now it gets tricky because there are times when authorities ask us to do sinful things. And then you have to teach them how can you respectfully uh, not submit. So that's the question. How do I respectfully, okay, not submit? So and it, it's all the time. You got people in the military. You know, you're you're required to follow the uniform code of military justice, and your CO may ask you to do something, and when you're court-martialed, you can't say I was just following orders. If the order is illegitimate, go in and wipe out that village you know, uh, wipe out those civilians. You can't follow that because you have a responsibility. And for Christians, uh, just as an aside, the ultimate is, even if you die, you still have God's approval. Say, and what's martyr? Martyrdom isn't killing other people, <laughs> as uh, the jihadists think. Martyrdom it comes from the Greek word for witness. It's just being faithful right up to the end. 
So we all need to be martyrs in the sense that we are witnessing <clears throat> the honesty. So, so hopefully you can grasp that. <clears throat> this goes for parents and children, goes for husbands and wives, <clears throat> all the way through. Any at work, you know, there's rich material here. So again, teaching, this is what you're supposed to do. Rebuke. Are you doing this? No. You're sitting there voodoo-dolling him, aren't you? Pulling the arm off and hitting him over there. You know? You know? Uh, so, you know, you need to deal with that. Okay. Uh, wives, uh, likewise. Be subject, subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful, pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, braiding hair, wearing a gold, putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be what? The hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So I think it's pretty clear. But two things that are very powerful in that, that you have to work with a woman, okay? Uh, two or three. One, look, it's your quality of life. It's not your external beauty. That's where you have to aim at. Okay? And it's not preaching to him or putting tracks, you know, or putting, you know, uh, uh, tracks in his lunch pail or leaving the Christian radio station on. It is the, the conduct of the wife as they observe this. Now, that doesn't mean that the husband's going to appreciate it. You've got, you've got to really see that. And Peter's not dumb. Look how he ends it. And this is important. And you are her children if you do good and do not what? Fear anything that is what? Frightening. It's frightening to submit to a schleppy husband. Okay? And it gets on the borderline. And, and uh, people take this and use this wrongly, I believe, saying, well, you've got to stick around even if you're getting beaten up. Slaves were getting beaten. No. I mean, you have legal protection. You use it. The bottom line is that it's the attitude. But, but Peter knows it's frightening to have to submit to this kind of authority when the authority is unjust. And he says, okay, now, again, here's the motivation. What keeps her going? God, God keeps her going, but, but particularly, what's in the passage? What makes God happy? Her quiet and gentle spirit, right? Look, look at the um, verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imper imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And I have to say to women at times, you know, I, don't, I try not to counsel women you know, unless they come in. Sometimes I'll get them in with my wife or whatever, but sometimes I go, don't, you're getting two thumbs up from Jesus. Jesus said, you're my kind of woman. I see your quiet and gentle spirit, even if this jerk doesn't. It's not lost on me. You don't lose your reward. Not again that she's earning her salvation, but you know, we want to please our Father. And he's going, yes. So sometimes that's my task is just to tell a woman, 
as best as I can tell, unless you're lying through your teeth, you know, from everything that your pastor tells me, everything, you're, you're a godly woman and you're doing what you're supposed to do. Just keep up with it. Now, does it mean that marriage is going to last? I don't know. Maybe you won't be able to save them, 1 Corinthians 7. Maybe God won't use you. Maybe he will dump you. Maybe he'll run off with somebody else. But then you're free. But until then, I know it's frightening. So can you see how this just this plays out? This is so directly into to many relationships. And we all do with the Ephesians 5, which is good, you know, Christ and the church and the husband-wife relation. But this is when it goes bad. This is, this is for when the marriage isn't what it should be. Hang in there, honey, because you're doing what pleases God. And as far as I know, you're getting a five-star rating from the King of Glory. You know, and it's up to him to either convert him, kill him, or give you the grace to go on. I can't, I can't let you out of the marriage. <laughs> no, really. You say, I, I, I wish I could, but you know, it's up to God. And I don't think at this point you have biblical grounds to get out. Okay, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, I really, because I'm a guy, so I can really pound on this one. Uh, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Which way? The way Christ was, not persecuting. What? Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, literally more fragile, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be hindered. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Sir, you're about as dumb as a doorblock. You know, you just, you're, okay? You know, you, you, where's the understanding of your wife? And, and I really hit him and say, could it possibly be your life is so messed up because God says, hey, when you treat the little lady the way you should, maybe I'll answer your prayers then. This is a frightening verse when you think about it. Okay? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Sir, you know, I wouldn't give you the time of day, you know, and uh, I'm not as holy as God, but you know, you, you, really, you, don't, you don't live according to knowledge. You know, your wife's not a man. Secondly, your wife's not somebody else's wife. You know, she's got particular issues. And, and the whole point is not that she's weak. Everyone tends to think of that way. I think it's more like fragile. In other words, here's my analogy. She is China, not Tupperware. Now, I, I, I was down in Brazil last August, and, um, you know, I, I was teaching on this, and, and, uh, and I thought, oh, man, I, I, I better not mention Tupperware, because maybe there's no Tupperware down here, right? So I go to the airport to, to fly back to the States, and there's like 2,000 women selling Tupperware. They come from a Tupperware convention. So I'm cracking up in the airport because I go, there was my perfect illustration. I was afraid to use it in Brazil, but you know, they know what Tupperware is, okay? You know, what's Tupperware? Okay? You just throw it like that, it bounces, you know, you throw it into the, you know. You don't treat your wife like that. She's like Ming Dynasty China, okay? You know, you, you handle her. And that's what I gotta get through to guys because guys are, guys are kind of dumb. You know, they, they need sledgehammers, most of them behind the head. Yes? Back to chapter 3, verses 1 and 5. I'm trying to help a lady at my church whose husband is an alcoholic and every now and then has been, uh, can be physically abusive. What, do you, what is your advice on when to get the, authority, when to get the authorities involved? 
sticking with it versus this is breaking the law. When the guy doesn't, when the guy doesn't follow, take your help. Say he's not a Christian, and he won't he get the help. He doesn't want the church's help. Fine. Then you say fine. God's kind. He gave you me as a pastor and us to help you. But if you want to diss us, you get the badge. That's all there is to it. And you find out what the laws are and you enforce them. Have the police come and have the police, most jurisdictions, find out what we can do. Because in the past, a lot of officers were killed or hurt because people wouldn't prosecute. So most jurisdictions now, they tell them somebody goes to jail. The officer makes the decision and uh, can bring charges. It's not left up to the domestic partner in the past. So just say, fine. Just say, hey, Harry, we don't want to be hard on you, you know, but here's the deal. You don't want God's grace, God's general kindness. All we got left is the state. If you lay a hand on that lady, okay, and she won't, we will call the police, okay, and we'll have them prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. I'm, I'm radical. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we're not under Old Testament law, but they didn't have any problem with corporal punishment to men. Yeah, thirty-nine, you got to stop so you don't disgrace. But you know, you know, even in the Old Testament, you say, "Well, I'm glad we're not under it." Maybe, but uh, bottom line is, if a guy's physically violent, I don't see why the state couldn't, str you know, string him up and, and give him a good lashing. Now, I know you say, well, you sound like an Islamist now, but, you know, I, I, think, I think corporal punishment for physical abusers might stop some of them. We'll never change the heart. But it's, so again, uh, they'll probably end up with anger management. They'll have to go to all kinds of classes or whatever. But that's, that's the consequences of a guy being a jerk. So you would, you would reach out to the, the husband personally and just give him that? I, sure, I'd offer him. Make house calls. Get that. Okay, I'm not coming back, but here's the deal. You know, anytime you want to deal with someone that's reasonable, that doesn't wear a badge, you know, that can help you, you know, we're there. But, okay, so uh, wives and perverse husbands are included, okay? Then uh, it goes on. Finally, all of you, verse 8 of chapter 3, finally, all of you. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. There's a lot there that you can unpackage with a person. And just simply say, okay, um, how can you agree with people at church? Do you have sympathy for them? Do you feel with them? Do you cry with those that cry? Do you weep with those that weep? Do you have brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless... Uh, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing for, and then he quotes the Old Testament. Whoever desires, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 34, but whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Most of your counselees, are self-included, live as if God's not there. And we've always heard the phrase, quorum Deo, before the face of God. Old theologians would talk about that. And, and I tell people, maybe you have to make visuals. Just imagine that the roof is off the room, and in a sense, God's leaning over, looking like this. OK? 
Okay? Because really that's what happens. When people sin, they lose a sense of the presence of God. And I tell people all the time, you wouldn't do that in front of me, would you? The pornography to master it, right? Oh, of course not. Well, okay, well, you, God sees you. I mean, everybody knows that God sees everything, but functionally, they don't believe that. I had a guy who came in who was a flasher, claimed to be a Christian, young guy, court mandated to go to counselor, didn't want to go to her because she's a woman, understandably. He comes in, and I'm not getting anywhere. And at one point, I just looked and I said, uh, would you flash God? And he looks at me and kind of goes, what do you mean? What? I said, do I have to get graphic? Would you go in front of God, drop your drawers, and, you know, do you? No. I said, yes, but you do. Every time you go around to an elementary school and expose yourself to young girls, you're doing it in God's face. You know that theologically, you don't know it experientially. So the point is, in terms of the presence of God, uh, uh, don't repay evil for evil. Why? Because you can see the whole theme. God's watching. Jesus goes, the Father is going to take care of this. It's not my task now to bring judgment on my people. I think he knew 70 AD was coming. But the bottom line is, hey, now's not the time. I'm here. I can, it's incredible. Christ is fulfilling Psalm 22, right? We know that. My God, he's quoting it. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And later in the psalm it says why? Let him come. They're, they're quoted. Let him come down from the cross. He saved others. He, you know, they're, they're actually rubbing his nose in Psalm 22. And imagine the incredible patience of the Lord going, Okay, God, Father, you got this one. You've got this one. Or to put in the Romans 12, don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. See, so this is important. And, and, and Peter's trying to say, if you walk through life, uh, and not seeing things clearly. And remember, you're called to give a blessing to people. People that don't even deserve it. I had to learn that when I came out uh, from uh, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, to, to California. Driving the highways. Man. Somebody in a really nice car always make a six-lane switch. Oh, there's my exit. You know, six, you've, you've experienced that, right? And the two things uh, began to help me with that. One, realizing I would start doing some of the same stupid things. I wasn't as good a driver as I was. I'm a hypocrite. And two, actually praying for people. I started praying for people. Lord, that person cut me off. They're so angry. They're flipping me off. They're going to go home and kick the dog, hit their wife or something. Please, God, don't give them what they, you know, protect them from their own stupidity and anger. And that really freed me up, praying for them. Now, because I would always end it with, now, if you want a, a chips patrol to come along and ticket the guy, yeah, I'll, give, I'll amen that one, Lord, but it's your call, okay? You know, like kindness or condemnation, huh? That sounds like you. That sounds like you. I think it's legitimate. It's, it's a subset of the imprecatory psalms. Well, it's your call. Blessed or blast, it's yours. But, but the point is, you're literally putting it in God's hand, saying the outcome is yours. And I go with whatever, you know. And that's what he's saying here. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to their prayer. That's, Ernie was saying that. He's really, really, people have to say, he hears. He's not deaf and dumb. His timing is not ours.
So, uh, now he picks it up. <clears throat> and how we get really, in a sense, a theology of suffering. And this is what you need for <clears throat> family or church or, you know, it's across the board. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? <clears throat> Probably not. But, you know, Peter's a realist. <clears throat> Because he's probably already, you know, he's preached to the Sanhedrin. He's been thrown in jail. They had to free him, you know, that miraculous uh, deliverance. And he's writing this and he's going, look, <clears throat> who's going to harm you if you're zealous for good? Oops, well, <laughs> I got in jail for it. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Then he quotes the Old Testament. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. You want to get that? Go back to Isaiah eight. That's where it comes from. And in that context, uh, I don't know if you know the context. Ahaz is a sinful king of Judah. <clears throat> he's afraid of Syria. He's afraid of the northern kingdom, and he's trembling in his boots. And God says to him, "Don't fear what they fear. Uh, don't fear this. In sixty-five years, they're not even going to be around." And I know you're so weak in faith, ask a sign for me. And then, of course, he goes real pious. Oh, I won't put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah gets upset. He says, okay, okay, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. She'll give birth to Emmanuel. And then, you know, chapter 9, a little bit later. And chapter 8 is where he says to Isaiah, don't fear what they call a conspiracy. Don't, don't you get... Don't get caught up in all this uh, hype and stuff. Again, that's why you've got to turn Fox News off every once in a while. Don't, don't get yourself worked up into a frenzy. Why? Because God is in control, and he's there, and he's taking care of this. Okay? Don't be fearful. Don't be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, and here's the punchline. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Obviously, what we want is we want to get blessed for doing good. And, but he says, look, if it's God's will, because he's planning it out, and who of us would want to take away Joseph's story? We wouldn't, would we? We don't want to take away Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's interesting when people pray for the persecuted, most of the time they pray that they'll be delivered, which isn't wrong, but that's not the thrust here. I think we need that perspective. Yeah. But again, but again, it's it's they prayed for Peter's release and he was released. So yeah, you're right. It's both and. But see, the point is, it's God's call, isn't it? Mm -hmm. See, that's what he's simply saying. God's in charge. <clears throat> you do pray. You do due diligence to God. But if it's His will that you suffer, make sure. And we'll we'll double back <clears throat> in the, the last one uh, this afternoon on make sure you don't sin. It makes it real clear in the next chapter. Make sure you're not suffering for your sin. And there are a lot of Christians that suffer for their sin 
myself included, and obnoxiousness, and you think you're suffering for Christ. You're not suffering for Christ. You're suffering, you're suffering because you're an idiot at that, at that particular juncture. That's a study, It is. Hey, I'm going I'm to say it in my plenary. God does not owe, and this, I'm a testimony to this, God does, not always, God does not always protect you from your own stupidity. I have done a lot of stupid, sinful things, well-meaning, wanting to serve people and God, and got burnt for it. And it's not God's fault. It's Scipione's fault for being stupid and really not following biblical principles. You know, rushing in, you know, trying to do this because I'm expecting a miracle. You know, you know the key one is having somebody in our congregation who was a child molester, you know, live in our home. Yeah? Yeah? God can raise the dead. I... I, when I got converted in seminary and got exposed to Jay Adams, I thought one of two things was going to happen. God was going to kill him or convert him. I mean, I saw such remarkable things in people's lives. And then I went out in this little country parish, you know, where if you hadn't been there for 50, 100 years, you were still a stranger, you know. Everything moved slowly, and everybody was related to everybody else, and it was just like a really difference. And, and I just expected God to kill him or convert him. And... Uh, so I'd have people live in my home and all kinds of people out of mental institutions and prisons and, and everything like that. And just, you know, you do some stupid things. Uh, Well-meaning, but there it is. But again, so it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And then we'll end up and then leave some a good time for questions. For Christ, can you see how this teaches? You know, we wrestle with people and they're not going to get it in one week. You're going to have to wrestle back and forth and say, these are the principles. And use lots of stories. Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Paul, you know, I preached that. Then. Paul's excited. I'm in prison. This is so great, I can't. Philippians, you think, what's, what theological dope is he smoking? You know, like, you know, hey, I'm in Caesar's palace. You know, the special ops force of the Roman Empire is getting converted. You know, I'd be depressed, you know being under house arrest, and these guys are going, hey, man, take my shift. I can't, I don't want to hear about Jesus. It's going to be eight hours of Jesus. That little Jewish guy, Jesus, 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 I'm sick of it. You know, and of course, somebody pointed out the other day, maybe it's the opposite. Once the guy gets converted, he goes, I'll take your shift, because I want to sit there and talk about Jesus for eight hours. But that's what Paul's doing. See, see Paul has an eternal perspective. Joseph has an eternal uh, perspective. You know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He sent me as a savior here. And, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, all through the Bible, our, our heroes, Hebrews 11, it's primarily people who go, I get it. God's in charge, and I'm doing what God wants me to do. So, <clears throat> it's up to him. You know, that's, see, that's where the freedom comes. Because then I'm, I'm focused on God's glory and the good of the other person. And see, in that, what's Peter saying? Think about the people that are persecuting you. You need to bring a blessing to them. Now, what's the blessing? You need to repent and believe. So now he goes, for Christ also suffered. He goes back to this. Now, this is a very difficult passage, one of the most difficult in the New Testament. But I'll run you through what I think it simply means. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. See, there's the theme again. It's unfair. The most unfair thing is Jesus dying on the cross on one level. He did not deserve that. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God, 
Okay, that's the whole point. Why do you suffer injustice? Because you want that person brought to God. For God's glory, for the person's good. If God doesn't do that and they get what they deserve, so be it. But the point is your purpose is to bring that person into confrontation with God. Being, uh, he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, um, in the body, really, is the way you think of it, but made alive and the ESV has in the spirit, I think that should be by the spirit with capital S, and I'll tell you why. Okay, in which, literally, by whom he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, and you put parenthesis, that are now in prison. Okay, so this is very difficult. This is where the patristic fathers and others came up with this idea that you know people were like in purgatory and, and Jesus went and preached to them, you know, but between the, his death and his resurrection, okay? But this is how it simply, uh, Peter, uh, maybe because he's not a Greek speaker, sometimes his Greek is a little convoluted, uh, but in which he, that is Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So, so really what Peter's kind of reflecting back is, look, this is what happened back in Noah's day when the Holy Spirit was preaching. Noah's a preacher. Most people forget that. <clears throat> yeah. One little girl said, uh, well, what was his message? She says, get on the boat. <laughs> so, so, get on the boat. You know, and, and they rejected the message and, and the rest is history, okay? Because... The spirits who are now in prison because they formerly, back in those days, did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. And then he makes this baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience <clears throat> through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has what? Gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers having been subjected to him. <clears throat> Not only do you need to wait patiently, just remember Jesus could do anything right now. Every authority on heaven and earth is under Jesus Christ right now. It's not going to happen just at the second coming. They're right now under Jesus Christ's authority. He chooses not to exercise it. That's the whole point at this point. He, he's allowing you to suffer because he's got purposes that you can't see, which is the salvation of certain people. So, see, this is, this is the way uh, Peter's arguing. Look, Jesus, Jesus died so that you could be from sin, freed from sin. You need to go through the suffering so other people can be freed from sin. Okay? And God's patient. He preached back through the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ in Noah, preaching in those days. They didn't listen and uh, he, he gave them an opportunity. They rejected that opportunity. But he was patient. He didn't ding them, you know, one at a time. They all waited till the ark was closed. And then he switches, of course, from the ark and water to, oh, baptism. Okay? And who's the ark? Jesus. Okay. We've got a little kid in our church. We uh, have catechism class at night for the adults, it's the larger catechism, but one family brings his kid, little Titus, he's like three. <clears throat> he's great. 
no matter what question I answer. Titus, what's that? Jesus. <laughs> Titus has got one thing straight. It's Jesus is the answer to everything. So no matter what question I answer, is Jesus. And we all laugh here. You're right, Titus. Jesus is the answer, okay? And, and uh, baptism, okay, baptism now is an appeal for what? A clear conscience. Because it's not your dead works. You're washed from those dead works. It's the work of Christ. And baptism, okay, so the flood comes. Christ is the ark that bears uh, those eight people up. They're saved not because of their abilities or goodness, but because of the grace of God. And baptism is that which obviously literally doesn't save you, but that's the representation. Why? Because as the judgment of God comes, you're born through that, through Christ. Just as Passover, the blood of the Lamb, is why you don't die and everybody else dies. All the Egyptians lose their firstborn, you know, but you're through. So you see how rich this is. Well, Peter, Peter, Peter keeps, you know, now he's done twice. He drags you back to the foot of the cross and say, this is what Christ was doing. You need to partake. You don't save anybody. You know, your death won't atone for anybody. Your righteousness won't atone. But you can point to Christ. Your silent, patient, enduring wrong points people to the cross. And isn't that how you got saved? when finally the Holy Spirit got through to you is, hey, he had to die because that's what I deserve. Okay. So in the midst of this, there's a re if I can put it to you, there's a redemptive purpose in all our suffering injustice. Why? Because our Savior suffered injustice. And he patiently endured it so he could get to the cross, so we could be saved, so we could get the Holy Spirit poured out so that we could be converted. All of that, it's all because of Jesus, and that's your model. Not that you save anyone, but you keep pointing. Your silent, patient suffering by doing what's right when everybody else is dumping on you points people to Jesus Christ. Okay? So, uh, and I'll end here and let you ask questions. Uh, the one thing I've learned, uh, I think I should have learned a long time ago, I tend to get angry at sin, my sin and other people's sin. That's certainly justifiable. Shh, please. Uh, uh, but the second beatitude is what? Blessed are they that mourn. Okay. The, an appropriate response to my sin or other people's sin is to mourn over it. The more we're grieved, I think the less we become angry. Okay. And that patient grieving over the sin points people to a patient Savior. And the impatience cuts people off, in a sense, functionally from the grace of God because they go, oh. So, okay, questions before we go. Uh, we'll end up with uh, this afternoon with uh, chapters 4 and 5. Uh, but I hope you can see how this teaches. This is what you need to do. It rebukes you if you fail, which we all are convicted. But it, it helps you how to correct it. Oh, if I can only keep... If I can only keep in mind, uh, God's on the throne, Christ is next to him, he's doing the job, justice is coming, it's going to come. You know, as sure as 70 AD came and the Jews got what they deserved for rejecting their Messiah, surely, you know, this person is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, we can throw in other things too. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
don't you know we're going to do what? Judge angels. So really, on the day of judgment after God, you're passed because of the blood of Christ and you're accepted and the rewards in our delta, then you are now on the judging crew. And you will one day sit there on that panel like the Supreme Court of the universe in a sense. And those people who have, who have dissed you and dissed Christ and done all those wrong things, you will get to judge them. And uh, all of that should say, okay, patience. <clears throat> patience now. Judgment later. Questions? Uh, and this is, this is down the heart, where the woman's physically abused, sexually abused, uh, and just parents, whatever. I mean, th this just goes right across the board. Because the older I get, the more this, this life is suffering. That's what the Dread Pirate Roberts said, you know, in, uh, to the princess in Princess Bride. Life is suffering, princess. As I said the other day, I broke the class up and, you know, it was, uh, uh, my mom used to give me this, uh, I used to think my mom was trying to kill me. The, in the old days, they thought enemas really reduced your fever. So, you know, when I'd get sick, my mom would give me an enema. And uh, I said, Mom, you're trying to kill me. And I did. At five, I thought she was trying to kill me. Now, looking back now, I know she loved me very godly, wanted to help me. But I, I really thought she was trying to kill me. And, and I go, and I start going... I'm going to explode, and poof, I would, you know, I mean, you know. So, so here's the deal, okay? Life is an enema, <laughs> and God, God's the only one that can clean the garbage out and heal you. But the bottom line is, all the name it and claim it people, I don't know where they got their theology, but it sure isn't from the Bible, because if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to suffer, but make sure it's suffering for righteousness, not just the general stuff that everybody else goes through. Okay. Yes? Question. Um, I don't know if this pertains to you, but um, what would you tell somebody who, um, this is a couple, and the wife doesn't know and she, is, uh, she doesn't understand salvation because she constantly, you know, she refers to it as, I guess she was taught backsliding isn't bad, mm -hmm. you know, so she constantly struggles with knowing if she's saved her. Sure, she got bad theology, and um, half the time your job is to clean up the bad theology. I had a guy come in and admit, I'm mad at God, because he named it and claimed it and didn't happen. I said, you got the wrong God. That's not the God of the Bible. And the problem is you've got a vending, you've got a vending a vending machine view of God. You put in prayers or something like that, you press the button, if it doesn't work, you kick the machine. She doesn't like the result. Of course she doesn't, because the point is you're trying to use God. You know? So you go, I'm not saying she's not a believer, you say, you have a wrong view of God. The bottom line is you're here to serve God, God isn't your servant. Okay? He's come in Christ to serve you, but you know, He's the creator, you're the creature. You're the sinner, he's the savior. And so you don't get to dictate the terms. And that bad theology, you know, which leads, of course, it's self-centered too. I might not be saved. Well, that's important, but that's not God's glory either. And half the, I think half the problem in our churches is because the gospel has been presented as a, as a monopoly uh, 
get out of jail card, get out of hell free card. Oh, and then, oh, oh, by the way, you're not living the life. Oh, we got to talk about lordship or something else. Well, you can't have half a savior. Jesus is Jehovah God. And, and uh, she may not even be a Christian. You know, I'm not, not in a mean way, but, you know, she needs to understand the gospel. Does Jesus save her or does she save herself? Because, you see, she does have a works righteousness. It's my faith that saves me. Faith becomes a work. It's I do it. Well, it's true. Work out your own salvation, fear, and trembling, because it's God at work in you. But the point is the woman, okay, is self-centered and fear-centered as opposed to Christ-centered. That's what's going to liberate her. You can only know these things when you're working with a person a long time. There's a certain person I work with, it's been many years, this has proven to be the case, they don't deny it. There's a pattern and they'll say it different ways, but they get to the point where they say, I'm not even sure I'm Christian. I said, no, that's your cop-out because you don't want to change. You know you're a Christian and that you're, you always do that in this discussion. The last thing you do is throw that out because you'd rather just use that as an excuse to dance around the issue that you have to stop sinning. Sure. Well, I mean, the analogy I use is you're married. You may not want to be married, but boy, oh boy, as long as you got there. You've been baptized, you're in, okay? Now, it doesn't mean you're saved automatically, but the bottom line is you have to act like a Christian because you've made a commitment. Now, you might not be, but you say, yeah, the whole people to their commitments. Well, it is time. We want you to be able to get those sausages or whatever and uh, blessings. And uh, if you stick with me, we'll finish out uh, First Peter. Copyright 2014, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.